Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today, we are joined by Paul Baldoff, Assistant Commissioner of Air Quality, Energy, and Sustainability. The mission of his office is to evaluate and support the development and implementation of secure and resilient energy systems and sustainable environmental practices while protecting the public from unnecessary radiation exposure and ensuring the state's air is clean and safe. Paul, thanks so much for joining us again on Discover DEP. Pleasure to be here, Bob. Last time, as I recall, we talked about Air Quality Awareness Week, and today we're going to go a little broader and perhaps a little deeper, because as we're nearing the end of this administration, we want to talk about the accomplishments of uh, all of the areas that your program office covers. Uh, as well as give a, a, a good overview of what you do, because you've got quite a varied portfolio. So tell us a little bit about AQUIS, Air Quality, Energy, and Sustainability. What are the topics you cover, and uh, what are the goals of, of your office? So AQUIS is set up to two divisions, Division of Energy, Security, and Sustainability, and Division of Air Quality. In energy, security, and sustainability, there's four bureaus, three of which focus solely on radiation protection. So it kind of runs a gamut on radiation. So we have a Bureau of Nuclear Engineering that focuses solely on our four power plants, nuclear power plants in the state, Mm -hmm. the three in Artificial Island and the one at Oyster Creek down by the shore. We do not have any regulatory jurisdiction inside defense, but we do have jurisdiction outside defense for emergency response. So in case there was some sort of radiation leak or exposure, that's where that's where your area comes in. Exactly. Yeah. If there was an emergency and there was a release, our staff is responsible for assessment of the dose to provide recommend, recommendations to the governor for evacuation, shelter in place, things like that. And we do drills and activities all through the year. And a little later, I believe, in our discussion, I'll tell you some highlights we've done in the last, you know, in this administration. So the Bureau of Nuclear Engineering, Bureau of X-ray Compliance. Basically, we register and inspect all the X-ray machines in the state. So uh, we're the group that goes out there. When you go to your dentist every six months, we make sure that you're, when you have X-rays taken, that they're taken adequately and you're not getting a bigger dose of radiation than you need for the dentist to do their job. The third bureau is Bureau of Environmental Radiation. They license and inspect all uh, radioactive material holders. So if it's a hospital has radioactive material or it's industry, they come in, we license them, we inspect them, and we're responsible to make sure that they're protecting that source and make it doesn't get into bad hands for terrorism purposes and also doesn't hurt anybody. It's interesting, I think, all the different areas that we don't always think about where uh, radiation is being employed in medicine and in industry in uh, dentistry, as you mentioned, as well as nuclear power plants. Of course, about half of our nuclear power in this state is generated by nuclear energy. I think the fact that we don't really think about it that much is is kind of a tribute to the work that you all are doing to make sure everything stays safe for people, uh, because radiation can be used for 
beneficial purposes, but also if it's not used properly, it can do a lot of harm. Yes, and I think that's an ongoing challenge we always have because in general, certainly if you're talking about nuclear power plants and even the sources, radiation scares people. It's hard in some ways to make them understand that all the great benefits of radiation and what it does for us on a day-to-day basis, but it is difficult and it's technical. And so you, if it's not in the news, that probably is a good thing. Of course, we're exposed to radiation every day from the sun as well. Absolutely, absolutely. We don't want to scare people. They don't don't get in a plane because your trip from here to California you have a serious amount of radiation in some ways, you know. I'll have to get my lead hat out next week. Exactly. <laughs> and the last bureau in that division is Bureau of Energy and Sustainability. There's multiple efforts in that group. All the department sustainability efforts come out of that group. We also have a recycling piece in that group where we do education and outreach. And then the biggest piece of the group is we work very closely with the Board of Public Utilities in terms of renewable energy, mm-hmm. so solar, wind, and we work very closely with the energy master plan in that group with the Board of Public Utilities so we can stay the course and get to the point we need to be in the future in terms of renewable energy and not relying on fossil fuel. We've been doing a lot on electric vehicles as well in that area. Yes, electric vehicles, and there's a crossover between electric vehicles in that group and our Division of Air Quality, yes. So you can lead me into the Division of Air Quality. The main functions there, as most people would understand, we regulate stationary sources of air emissions. And what is meant by a stationary source? It's a source that doesn't move. So when I say stationary or non-mobile, it doesn't move. Mobile means vehicles. So we permit stationary sources, and we do not do the enforcement side of it. We only do the planning and permitting side. So those stationary sources are power-generating facilities, manufacturing facilities, things like that. The other piece of the division looks at mobile sources and tries to reduce emissions from cars, trucks, on- and off-road vehicles, and things like that. There's no permitting requirement on the mobile side, but we're trying to go through initiatives, different things like electric vehicle infrastructure and things like that to help reduce. We've done a very good job reducing emissions on on stationary side. It's a much bigger challenge on the mobile side, just thinking about where we are at the 95 corridor and how many vehicles come through our state every day. Of course, there's also a bit of a challenge with stationary sources in other states, right? Because even though a power plant or some other facility may be located in a, in a different state, that doesn't mean the stuff that they pump into the air just stays in that state. They don't, uh, the, the winds don't honor geographic, or I should say, the winds don't honor political boundaries. So we've got a bit of a challenge in that area as well with stuff blowing into our state, don't we? Absolutely. As, as opposed to other contaminants that DEP regulates, air doesn't know boundaries. So we can do the best job and have the best equipment in our state. If an upwind state does not go to that level, our citizens are the ones seeing that pollution. But in spite of that challenge, we still have made great strides in our air quality over the past number. Of, it's been a long forward march of progress in terms of improving our air quality, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And as far as New Jersey, if we aren't the best, we're one of the leaders of stationary sources and getting them having the best available technology and running that technology all the time. We have made strides with EPA and with other states, bringing them up closer to the same level we are, and that's our continuation as we go forward to make sure those upwind states are treating their industry the same as we are so our citizens aren't put at a disadvantage because they are lax in their permitting and enforcement. I understand there are even some facilities that install the equipment needed to 
reduce the contaminants that are coming out of their smokestacks, but sometimes it's less expensive to just pay whatever fines or, or buy credits or anything for the pollution than it is to actually run the equipment. Is, is that true or is that just a rumor I've heard? No, I mean, that, that's factual. I mean, there are economic decisions being made daily at some of these plants that are outside of New Jersey to not run their control. And we've been working hard to try to rectify that. Yeah, what, what does it take to convince other states to get their facilities to do that? Are there legal mechanisms or is it just kind of uh, jawboning, as they used to say? There, there certainly are legal mechanisms most widely. You can petition EPA to make them, to force them to make those other states do their job. Mm -hmm. And we've been successful at times and we'll continue to do it when the opportunity arises. Well, that's good. That's important. I understand Equus also has some programs to assist both small businesses and programs to assist businesses become more sustainable. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, we have a small business assistance program that it isn't new. It's been around since 1990. It came from the Clean Air Act, but it's been successful. I mean, last year, just to give you a few numbers, we had a little over 100 site visit visits and helped out over 200, just around 200 companies, small businesses. And basically, we go out and give them some advice, talk about regulatory trends, just try to help them out. I mean, these companies aren't your large corporations who have 15, 20 environmental experts in their office. These are people that there might be three or four people in the entire shop, and they're, it's very helpful for them to hear from DEP the ins and outs of the regulatory world, maybe give some suggestions on how to do a little bit better, and it's been always been well-received. So that that's something that for years, and it continues to be successful. So you find these small business owners receptive to this sort of advice, not kind of resentful and like, oh, I, why do I have to do this? Yes. I, I really do. I mean, it comes from a couple of different angles. Some of them just want to be better for the environment, and they appreciate that. And many, many times it saves them money, mm -hmm. and obviously they always appreciate it. Yeah, that's an important thing to remind folks, that often improving the environmental performance also leads to improvements in the bottom line. Right, exactly. And the Sustainable Business Initiative, tell us a little bit about that. Well, that is something that we've done and it's fairly recent, but we have over 100 companies who have completed sustainable things, goals at their facility, and then they become, they're acknowledged for that, and the word gets out and more companies see it. So it's, it's, it's corporate citizenship. They go out and they show that in my company, I did these 15 goals for sustainability. And it could be very simple things. It could be very large things. But at the end of the day, it's all benefit to the environment. It gets the word out. And there's certainly lessons learned so other companies can see what company A did and apply to company C and things like that. So it's been successful. So what are some of the goals that are included in the Sustainable Business Initiative for getting these uh, businesses to do that promote sustainability? I mean, it's, it's generally green practices. So... Let's say, for instance, tying into what we're doing, maybe they would put charging stations for electric vehicles at their site mm -hmm. so their employees can come in and charge things. Simpler things like making it easy to recycle everything in their building. You'd be surprised in offices and situations like that, sometimes recycling is ignored. Sometimes it's much better in the residential population and people know what to do, but in an office setup, it might be not focused on as much. Yeah, they might not have containers in convenient places and things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely, and there's, there's, there's other things too. I mean, uh, just the ability to allow employees to bring up sustainable ideas is part of it. So employees have a voice to say, 
maybe we should make our roof green mm-hmm. with something like that and things like that. So it's just, it's kind of a process where the employees can speak to management, management can share with other companies, and everybody can share from these experiences. You mentioned electric vehicle charging stations. Over the past year or so, your program has had great success with an incentive program to encourage the in- installation of those charging stations. Tell us a little bit about how that's worked and the kind of success it has seen. Well, it's called pay, it pays to plug in. Uh, we did this in conjunction with the Board of Public Utilities. And in a year, uh, we put $850,000 in grant money out there to install chargers. And these chargers are, in this particular case, or at workplaces or somewhere away from the house where people can charge their cars where they're there for the day or some period of time. Very successful. We spent the entire $850,000. We have people on the waiting list also. The good news there is we have recently received some federal grant money uh, to continue the program, and our expectation is in 2018 not only will we be able to fund those in the waiting list, we'll be able to take a much larger group, hopefully, than the one we've done already. So uh, at the end of the day, we want to be able to tell people that range anxiety isn't an issue because not only can you charge at home, you can charge at your workplace, you can charge going to the supermarket, whatever it may be, and there's there's multiple opportunities to plug in. Yeah, addressing that uh, range anxiety, as it's called, which is the, the fear that you're going to run out of your battery power before you are able to complete all your errands or get to work and, and back home. Addressing that's really important in, in making it more attractive for people to go to electric Yeah, it definitely is. And if you if, if you go back to just gasoline, there was a point where there weren't many gas stations. I'm not saying people kept their horse and didn't buy Model T, but it's the same scenario where you have to they have to understand and be have that comfort level that they'll be able to charge when they need to charge. Yeah, that's that's really important. And it's great to hear how successful that program has been, and that we'll be able to uh, continue it to help address that range anxiety and give people lots of options for charging their electric vehicles. Now, let me ask you to look back a little bit over the past eight years or so and, and kind of tell us a little bit of some of the highlights that you consider that your program area has achieved and uh, also some of the things you're looking to accomplish in the near future looking back over the next couple of years. There's, there's a many things actually that i um, proud of what we've done, but a few I'll highlight. I talked briefly about the Bureau of uh, Nuclear Engineering. We in the last eight years have made significant uh, investments in uh, technical capabilities, equipment. Uh, there's probably only a one or two other states in the country have a robust response program that we have. As I mentioned previously, our influence and responsibility is outside defense. So if there is an emergency at the plant and there's a release of radioactivity, it's our responsibility, A, to get staff out there to measure it. We have all new equipment, new vehicles. This is something we've been working on for a while. In the past, well, since the inception, you would take vehicles out there with with field teams. You go out there with handheld equipment and you measure. Mm-hmm. You're obviously putting individuals in harm's mm-hmm. way doing that. Uh, in the last few years, we've gotten grant money, used some of our own money. Now we have vehicles that have all the equipment inside. Our team does not even have to leave that vehicle. They're never exposed to radiation. The information can come straight from the vehicle back to wherever we want to send it, so it doesn't have to be faxed or something like that. It doesn't put anybody in harm's way, and we can go anywhere. Oh, that's great. What a huge improvement. 
It has been. And yeah, I think of those old movies you used to see where the prospectors were walking around with Geiger counters, you know. <laughs> it's a long way from that. And this type of thing, when you, if you, a serious event like this, you really have to be able to give the public a comfort level that we understand what's going on and know it. And quite honestly, the way we have things set up now, we see everything the utility sees when they see it. So we can make decisions and recommendations to the governor, and the governor will be able to make decisions based on the latest information. Yeah, um, so great. we're very proud of what we've done in the nuclear engineering world. That's great. What are some of the other things you wanted to mention? Solar capacity. New Jersey, people might not realize that New Jersey's fifth in the country and installed solar capacity. Fifth in the country? Fifth in the country. And you would be surprised saying that considering the size of the state and the amount of sun we get. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so you would think this, you know that New Mexico and you know all the all, whole Southwest would be up in those top five, as well as the South would be all you know top ten, top fifteen anyway. But here we are, number five. And we're continue to go further. Uh, we have a few years ago we did do a solar siting analysis, and we're updating that. And basically, what that is is try to figure out. Where do you put the rest of the solar? In this discussion, we're not, not talking about rooftop solar. We're talking about larger solar. But where do you put it? Because obviously, we don't want to take down a forest to put solar panels up. But so the solar siting analysis goes through the entire state, so you can make judgment calls on a certain plot of land. Does it make sense environmentally to put solar there? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at different ways to keep solar moving. But we're very proud of how much we've done to date uh, in New Jersey. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, number five considering we're probably the 48th or 49th smallest state in terms of area. That's really something. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And the last one I was going to mention is the energy master plan. So I spoke briefly about renewable energy, but we worked with the Board of Public Utilities back in 2011 when the first energy master plan came out. Uh, we worked with them again in 2016 when it was updated. This will continue to be a focus for as long as anyone sitting in the seats here. We're looking to compel energy generators to be as clean as possible and use as much renewables as possible. Now, does that mean we can have 100% renewables tomorrow? No, it's not practical. But right now, we have almost zero coal, 1% or 2% coal. We have the cleanest natural gas, which is about half in the country, and about the other half is nuclear. Solar is around 4% in that area. So we've really done a great job to date. There's a lot more to do, but I think the Energy Master Plan will keep us focused on the right things to do, how to get there, and how to be practical, and focus on things that can be done and are benefit immediately to New Jersey and really to the country. I understand that in terms of emission rates from our power plants, in terms of carbon uh, NOx and SOx, we're, we're one of the best performing states in the country. That's correct, and we're proud of that. And we use that uh, in many ways when we're uh, making our efforts to have the other states come up to where we are. Yeah. Paul, tell me, as you look back, what, what would you consider to be a great day at AQUIS? A great day. Our Commissioner Martin has focused uh, very much since day one on uh, customer service. So a great day to me, even though uh, you could say it's a day where we're not putting out too many fires, a great day is when we get positive feedback from either the regulated community, a stakeholder, or just a citizen who dealt with this. And at the end of the day, we can't always give people the answer they want. Sometimes the answer is no, sometimes it's yes. But a great day was when you get that positive feedback that we were timely, we were courteous, and we gave them everything they needed, 
And you do get those letters that come and phone calls that come in and say, boy, you denied my permit and it's really put me in a bad position, but I appreciate everything you did and your, your staff was professional and courteous. Those are the things that make it a good day. Yeah, so it's kind of uh, thinking of, of the interaction with stakeholders more as potential partners than as adversaries from the beginning. And that does make a difference. Yes, and as we've said in the past, the department hasn't always been on a good footing like that, so it's great when you get positive feedback. That's great. Now, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been here at DEP? Uh, what's your educational background that prepared you for this work? And uh, a little bit about your history here at DEP. Well, I'm a career employee. been here uh, 30 years. Initially, I uh, came here after an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. There was a question at one point where they asked you, did you come here? Why'd you come here? And I'd like to be able to tell you I came here to save the world, to save the environment, but I really came here to pay the rent. You know, I wasn't, <laughs> I was 22 and wasn't thinking that far ahead. It's been a good career here. Uh, since then, while here, I, I got a master's degree in engineering and a master's degree in homeland security. So it's been uh the work's been challenging. I've been very lucky here because I've been able to move to multiple programs over the 30 years. I did look at different programs. So I went from water quality, compliance and enforcement, release prevention, all the programs I'm talking about now. So it's probably what kept me here is, is the opportunity for everybody in DEP. It's a very, very large organization. And to this day, you're going you're gonna to see things in other programs you never knew existed, you didn't understand, or you're completely wrong about. So it's, you can almost invent, reinvent yourself every couple of years as long as there's opportunities are there. So it's, it's a good place to work, and you, you don't get stale, and you have the ability to move around, and I'm very thankful for that. It's also helpful for the organization to have people in leadership positions like you who have an understanding of more than one specific area. Because so often all of these different areas are interacting and, and overlapping in some way. So knowing about some of the other things that go on in the, in the department must be really helpful to you in doing your job. It is. It, it breaks down those silos. So you don't necessarily have a permitting silo or enforcement silo or a policy silo. You have to know a little bit about everything, which can be dangerous at times, but <laughs> it, it, it is helpful. Yeah, that's great. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us about the Office of Air Quality, Energy, and Sustainability, AQUIS, and the work that you and your team are doing there. Uh, it's really important stuff. If we don't have clean air to breathe, a lot of the other stuff doesn't even matter, does it? So uh, the clean air is, is uh, key to, obviously, everything else that goes on, and as well as making sure that in the years ahead and in the decades ahead, as the new generations come up, that we are leaving our state, and uh, hopefully our planet in better condition than we found it. So the work that your sustainability folks do is important from that standpoint. And of course, we can't ignore the energy part. Uh, we are all so dependent uh, with everything we do on the energy sector. And while sometimes it becomes a convenient target, I think for folks, I heard somebody say, well, you know, next time you want to complain about a power plant, First, bring all your air conditioners, TVs, <laughs> microwaves, and everything else, and, and leave them at the gate of the power plant and go home without them, and then, and then see if you feel the same way about it. So very important areas, uh, very important areas to the environment and the economy here in New Jersey, and uh, I know we all appreciate very much the work that you and your team are doing. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. And 
enjoy the rest of your day.